Welcome to the Formed in the Word podcast, a production of the Augustine Institute. Your hosts, Dr. Jim Prothro and Dr. Israel McGrew, will review the lectionary readings for this Sunday's Mass, explain their context, and help you to appreciate the Church's wisdom in selecting them. Welcome to Formed in the Word. I'm Israel McGrew. I'm James Prothro. And we are professors of sacred scripture at the Augustine Institute. Today, we'll be looking at the lectionary readings for the fifth Sunday of Lent. We'll explain each reading in turn, their context, and some of their main points to draw out some of the continuity between the readings. Yeah, in her wisdom, the church has put the lectionary together, these sets of readings, to lead us into the mystery of Christ. Uh, So we want to reflect here on God's uh, word to us, the way in which the Old Testament foreshadows or gives us figures or types or patterns that point ahead to uh, Christ and the church uh, in which we live. Uh, and how Christ fulfills the Old Testament scriptures and uh, answers the problem of human existence after the fall. And if this is your first time joining us, this is a resource uh, for people who want to enter into the Mass more deeply, uh, both for lay people as well as for uh, priests who are preparing their homilies and are seeking to um, both enter into the Mass more deeply themselves in prayer, as well as to lead their congregations more deeply in prayer. Absolutely. Speaking of prayer, let's begin with one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious Father, as we approach the end uh, of this season of Lent, uh, we pray that through your Holy Word, you would comfort and console us with the wonderful promise of new life in Jesus Christ and your power to raise us from the dead. And ask that uh, through that word and by the gift of your Holy Spirit and through the sacraments, uh, you would form us in hope in that new life, uh, in lives of self-denial and love and penitence. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks, Jim. All right, so the first reading for this Sunday is from Ezekiel chapter 37. Uh, verses 12 through 14. Uh, 12 through 14 follows 1 through 11, uh, which is one of the the rather famous passages from the Old Testament, uh, Ezekiel's vision of the valley full of dry bones. Mm -hmm. So this has been long recognized as an image of the resurrection, but in its kind of original historical context and sense, uh, this is explicitly about the national restoration of Israel. Mm-hmm. And this is actually a, a common use, relatively common use of this image within the Old Testament. We get it again in Hosea and in Isaiah, um, where the prophets talk about Israel's restoration in terms of resurrection. Right? This is a kind of a, a mythological motif that was known to them. Um, and in his earlier instances in the Bible is referred to for Israel's national restoration. Uh, so, right, did you have something? Yeah, I was just going to say, and, and, and beautifully, um, uh, 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 in the way in which God has inspired these scriptures, right, um, you, you, you can end up with a both and there. And so we can uh, benefit a lot from studying both the both and the and, right, both things because they go together. Um, so if we have here uh, uh, a, an image, right, and he's explicitly in the text going to say, these bones are the house of Israel, and I'm going to put them back together after they've been torn apart. Um, uh, to read it in that context as a national resurrection, national resurrection, if you will, right, of the people of God, then to think ahead to the one great person 
right, who is the people of God and himself, Jesus Christ, right, uh, who is raised from the dead, in fact, right, not sort of as a nation metaphorically, but in himself, and that he will do the same thing for all the people of God who are the people of God in him. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we can look, uh, sometimes I, th I think it can be easy um, uh, for people who say, well, but, but don't we read this to be about this other thing? Shouldn't we then only read it to be about this other thing instead of also talk about its original historical context? And other people, of course, say it's not really about resurrection. Mm -hmm. It's only about the nation. Um, but the beautiful thing about the way that these patterns and these figures and types work in Scripture uh, from the God who uh, knew all, knows all things uh, and inspired it, uh, you, can, you can get that both ends. So we can benefit from learning about the one from learning about the other and vice versa. Right. Yeah. So this is um, by looking at it in its historical context and historical sense, we get a sense of the ongoing progressive divine pedagogy within Israel's history. And then um, to expand on what uh, Jim was saying about the one, um, I'm not sure actually how you put it, the one who I, fulfills say, say all Say it better these than things. I did, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to let Irenaeus, St. Irenaeus put it better than we would. Uh, Christ recapitulates Israel's experience. And this is what Matthew does when he talks about, um, out of Egypt I called my son, right? He's quoting Hosea. And Hosea is referring to something that happened in the past, that is the Exodus, when Israel was called out of Egypt. And so when Hosea takes this verse, which is about Israel as a corporate people, or excuse me, when Matthew takes this verse from Hosea, which is about Israel as a corporate people and says, this is fulfilled in Jesus, um, he is actually guiding us to see Jesus as in some way in his 33 years of life, recapitulating Israel's entire experience as the people of God, as the servant of God, um, Christ himself, the servant, and, the, well, and we'll talk about this in our next week, um, Christ as the servant who recapitulates everything Israel was as servant. And therefore, when he invites us into his body, uh, we are, as the church, the new Israel. And uh, Jim also used the word type a couple of times. This is a couple of times. This is what's called typology, right? Seeing these images which are fulfilled in Christ, but in new ways, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, so we talked about Hosea, right? Out of Egypt, I called my son. Hosea also um, refers to... Uh, the resurrection after three days, um, again, in the context of national restoration. So this is the pattern that we get. Mm -hmm. um, and the reading that we have today, verses 12 through 14, um, this picks up right after the vision, and it's an exposition of the vision, um, but these specific verses are not, they are not as explicitly uh, related to national restoration. There is national restoration, but it's also f focuses on the verses which are much more open to the kind of literal application of this mm -hmm. image in mm -hmm. a resurrection. Yeah, you don't have to do a lot of translating in the words and the verses here to see it also uh, fulfilled completely in the resurrection of the dead, in fact. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I want to point out, especially, right, it's, it's very brief reading. So thus says the Lord, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. So we have the image of resurrection um, combined with this national restoration. 
And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. And this is going to be really key for when we get to the Gospel of John, right? Mm -hmm. They know that the Lord is their God based on his ability to resurrect, which was actually Hosea's point as well, Mm -hmm. Uh, right? Hosea, who's taking on worship of Baal, who is a a dying and resurrecting God, um, and God and Hosea saying, no, I'm the only one God, and I don't die. I kill and make alive. Mm. Um, yeah, so we have God's power and identity being known through his ability to resurrect the people. And in verse 14, he says, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And in the, the story of the dry bones, you know, the, you know, God says, hey, Ezekiel, can these bones live? He says, wow, you know God. Um, and then the bones start rattling and then they kind of come together and then they get ligaments and sinews and skin. And, but then they're just like standing corpses and it takes actually the spirit entering the bodies, right? It's not the bones being recomposed and taking on flesh or even standing up. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the decisive thing is the gift of the spirit. Yeah, that's right. And, and notably also my spirit. So when, mm-hmm. when, when God is talking to Ezekiel sort of seeing the vision in the prior verses, he says, he says, prophesy to the wind or breath or something like that. And it, it gets translated differently. And if you follow along, you'll see little notes in, in different Bibles saying, oh, it's the same word coming back. Um, where uh, the kind of vision is where you've got these sort of like standing boned meat bags, right, um, <laughs> who are ready to live, but they have no breath, no spirit, mm-hmm. no breath of life, right? So you have kind of a, a sort of new creation image, right, where God is sort of breathes, and he says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, the wind, right, so that it will come into them. And God says, I'll cause breath to come into you. But then just after that, he says, I'll put my spirit within you, mm-hmm. right, with respiration, right? Spirit has to do with breath. But here it's the Lord's spirit. And um, at least in the ESVCE that I'm looking at in verse 14, it's got a capital S on spirit. And that's a good move, um, uh, I think, because it's pointing us to the fact that the the promise here of I will put my spirit within you is different from just I'll Mm -hmm. give you some breath, but I'll put my spirit within you. And when we come to uh, Romans 8 especially, um, and Paul's conversation there about uh, uh, the, our life in the Holy Spirit and in Christ, uh, that's going to that's gonna come to a new kind of fulfillment um, in the church and in his words there. Mm-hmm. And so this is a similar dynamic with what we saw with the water and the Spirit, mm-hmm. right? the water from the Exodus and Psalm 95 and the Spirit from Romans as well. Uh, let's go ahead and move to our psalm. So our psalm is Psalm 130, verses 1 through 8, which is the whole psalm. So, And uh, this psalm uh, is crying out for forgiveness and again, for restoration. Um, Israel's hope is that they will be redeemed. Right? And I want to call attention, especially to the last two verses of the psalm. Mm. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. Right? This is that word chesed, right? that famous Hebrew word that People don't know, even if they don't know any Hebrew, uh, this kind of covenantal fidelity, loving kindness. He said, Hesed. Um, uh, Jim. Anyhow, um, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. These are the last two verses of the psalm. Uh, 
And this is in the fifth book of the Psalter, which we can be pretty confident is post-exilic. Um, many of the Psalms themselves are clearly post-exilic and its editing had to be. And so one of the beautiful things about this Psalm is, you know, here they are, they're crying out for restoration, for redemption, but the nation actually has been restored. I mean, this might be in a time of suffering and all of that, um, but the book as a whole, right, the, the fifth book of the Psalter, has this kind of messianic and eschatological lean. Mm-hmm. Right? There has been a national restoration, but the Messiah hasn't come. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that uh, previous national political restoration leaves them dissatisfied. They know that they're still in exile within the promised land. It, it hasn't been healed because there is no Davidic king. Mm, and because mm-hmm. the problem of the human condition, right, this mm-hmm. sinfulness remains. And yeah. so in a way, uh, Israel's already recognizing that their national political restoration is a sign of a fuller restoration, which needs to come still. Yeah, that's right. And the, I, 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 love, I love Psalm 130. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's one that I come back to frequently. Because it because it has so much of, of, of all of this too. But it, it, back in um, a prior verse, in verse three, right, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? Right again, the problem, like you said, of sin, right, uh, sinfulness and personal sin still remains, um, and yet also with the hope and the confidence, right, that God will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. In the last verse. And also just that in general, God's own mercy, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared or revered, right? Um, uh, God's forgiveness should bring us to honor him um, and to love him. Uh, and that can be kind of counterintuitive sometimes, right? You, you might think to yourself on a Tuesday, right? Well, if I have one boss, I've had four bosses, right, in my, in my company or whatever, and one of them is really, really angry and threatens me when I turn things in late and another one's cool with it, um, and is a little more patient, then I'll turn in stuff on time to the one who's strict, and then with the other one, I'll be like, yeah, um, right? But with God, there is forgiveness so that we might fear him, right, and love him in a, in a, with a kind of gratitude, not a sort of cowering fear, thinking we'll never be forgiven, but, but with a great gratitude. And that makes him somebody that we can hope in. And in verse 5 and 6, right, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. Mm-hmm. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits more than watchmen who are standing up on the top of the uh, tower or the wall waiting for the morning to come, right? Um, uh, so we can, we can wait on him with confidence, mm-hmm. right, and hope. Yeah. I've thought about this, uh, right, with the Lord there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Um, if there wasn't forgiveness, what would be the point, hmm. right? Okay, yep. God's going to smite me. I'm just going to go have as much fun as I can, as long as I can, before he decides to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But because there is forgiveness, there is continued relationship and continued hope mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and kind of a reverence. Right? So. Yeah, that's right. And we get to enter into that and have been entering into that uh, through this season of Lent um, and hopefully in um, both general penitence and also like the sacrament of penance um, to know that we're, we, we have a God who's forgiving and in whom we can hope um, and to constantly be able to go back and talk to dad mm-hmm. right? um, and be joined to him again. Moving on now to our uh, uh, New Testament reading before the gospel, we're in Romans chapter 8. 
um, and the verses are verses 8 through 11. It's quite short, um, so I'll just read it out. Um, but I'll give a little bit of context first. So Paul, in, especially starting in chapter 5 of Romans, has been talking about uh, the problem of the human condition and then deliverance from it in Christ, right? The problem of uh, being under Adam in a way and under sin and under the reign of the flesh um, uh, and the way in which our uh, sinful inclinations right, drive us and move us toward sinning and away from God, right? And it, it, it's kind of a kind of like a conflict. So Romans 1, 18, just back at the beginning of the book says, right, the wrath of God is being revealed against all human uh, 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 impiety and injustice, right? Sins against God and sins against other people. God is against that. He's against sin. And in Romans 6, he says, right, if you've been delivered from sin, then you should fight against sin with your body parts, with your members, instead of fighting against God like you used to do, right? So it's kind of like a, kind of like a conflict here, right? God against sin and then everybody who's sort of on sin's side. But when you're delivered in Christ Jesus, right, you're now on the other side, right? And you can, as he says in Romans 6, fight against sin. But w what is it that's, that's bringing this about in our, uh, in our morality, in our ethics? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. And so Romans 8 talks about life in the Spirit, right? the way in which the Holy Spirit brings what couldn't be done by the law to fulfillment in us, right? so that we walk in the way of Christ Jesus, in the way of love, that we obey God and submit to him, and that without the Holy Spirit's working, uh, we won't do this. And then in 9, he says, right, right you, you, but you can do this and you should do this because the Spirit is in you. And watch this. If the Spirit of God is in you to transform your morality, the same Spirit of God will transform your mortality, right? So that you go not just from serving sin with evil deeds and fighting against God and the truth, but now... Uh, also are delivered from the problem of death in Adam, right? And the sort of finality of death. R Romans 8, 8 through 11 here, I'll just read it. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is dead or decaying, right? Uh, because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. This is, this is new life now and not yet, now and then, right? We have new life now to be able to live well and live rightly because of God's spirit, which transforms our morality. And right, as we continue to walk in that same spirit, the spirit that God puts in us through a baptism, we will have immortality by the same spirit. He says the spirit, verse um, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus, Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Um, and it's a, it's a fabulous reading for uh, Lent in this season right now uh, to think about uh, our, our, our need for penance and transformation of our, uh, of our ethics, our morals, our way of life. Um, 
all by the work of the Holy Spirit and us cooperating with him. And then also that the promises that if we hold on and we stay with him, uh, that same spirit will bring that work all the way to completion with new life, not just soul, but also body mm -hmm. in the resurrection of the dead so that we will be joined, conformed to Christ, both in our penance and our suffering now and in our lives of love now, and even at the end when we're perfected in our bodies. Yeah. And I think you already mentioned this, but I want to just bring it out a little bit more that the kind of typical famous, you know, now, not yet dynamic here, mm. right? The life to which we'll be resurrected and perfected in glory, um, that's the life of the spirit, mm -hmm. which is in us now. And this is a, it's the kind of beautiful mystery um, in that we are already foretasting of heaven mm -hmm. in so far mm -hmm. as we are giving ourselves to um, the life of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. We're living, living ahead into uh, everything that's been promised. Mm -hmm. That's right. So um, our, our gospel lesson, we can flip there now uh, as we conclude. Um, our gospel lesson is from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. Uh, there's also a shorter option of doing verses 3 through 7, then 17, then 20 to 27, and then the second half of 33 to the end. Um, uh, right now, we can just sort of highlight a few things and talk through uh, the whole story. It's, of course, a long reading, um, but if, Which is maybe why Ezekiel and Romans were so short. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but the beautiful thing is, right, if we, if we have Ezekiel and we have Romans in our mind, right, we have, we have the right, promise of this, right, the, the uh, national resurrection, re, national, re, na national restoration. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I was going to say national resurrection, uh, but restoration. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, here, right, for Israel, fulfilled then in Christ, and then we have on the other side of it, right, the reality of God's Spirit being poured forth into us, uh, uh, according to St. Paul speaking about the church. And, and right in the middle, right, if we've got those two, right in the middle, the death of Lazarus and his uh, raising, this story really encapsulates so much of it, right, and the fulfillment of this hope uh, in a new and perhaps unexpected way, uh, and with that now and not yet. Mm -hmm. So just to take through uh, a, a couple of things. One of them is, uh, uh, this is one of my favorite little uh, uh, puns in the Bible. Uh, John's gospel is full of them. There's, I, I call them puns of profundity, where there's a word that means two things, and Jesus says one, somebody mistakes the meaning, and then Jesus uses it as a great kind of uh, teaching point. I'm just glad you didn't say propundity. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. That was very profound. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, here at the beginning, right, the report comes to Jesus that Laz and the apostles that Lazarus has died. Uh, and uh, he says to them, uh, Lazarus has fallen asleep, uh, and I'll go to wake him up in verse 11. And the disciples say, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. He'll get back up again. Uh, but verse 13 goes out of its way to explain it, right? In, in, in John 3, right, where there's the word that can mean again or from above, uh, right? Nicodemus like born again, what do you mean? Like all over again? And she's like, no, right, from above. Um, uh, the same thing happens with the woman at the well, uh, where he says, oh, you, you know, I'll, I'll give you living water. 
um, which is an idiom for flowing water, but also right, the water that gives eternal life. And she says, well, you don't have a bucket. Where are you going to get water from? Right. Um, <laughs> um, and here, uh, John actually goes out of his way to explain it uh, painfully for us in verse 13. So always explain your own puns. Um, uh, it's Mark's so, a good joke. That's right. Uh, it says, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep, or more woodenly in the Greek, they, th they thought he meant the sleep of sleep. <laughs> and so then he tells them plainly, Lazarus died, right? and I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. Right? There's a sign that's coming that we're ready for now. Uh, and the disciples are all nervous. They go and they find the house. There's people mourning there. And Jesus uh, meets the two sisters, uh, whom we know from uh, Luke's gospel in chapter 10, uh, Mary and Martha. And uh, he speaks first with Martha, who goes out to um, uh, meet him. And uh, Martha says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's confident in his ability to right, heal, to raise the dead. But she doesn't yet see how that fits into the whole big program, mm -hmm. right? of the restoration of God's people, uh, the restoration of God's people from the problem of sin that we saw in the psalm is still lingering even after they come back into the land, um, uh, sin and death. And she says, I know that whatever you ask from God, he'll give you, right? I know you're a powerful intercessor. And he says, your brother will rise again. She says, well, I know he will at the end right, when God raises everybody from the dead for judgment. Verses 25 and 26, really, this, is, this, this hits home, and these are great to memorize um, and especially to say to yourself uh, uh, when you're bereaved, when a beloved dies. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You see here the, the both and and that same continuity that uh, uh, McGrew was talking about here, right? On the one hand, right, you'll die and you will live again if you're in Christ. On the other hand, you'll never die because you're always with him and his spirit is joined to your soul. And if his spirit is the spirit of life joined to your soul, then your soul will live with him even while you're waiting for the last day when the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us also to immortality. And then he asks her, do you believe this? And she says, yes. Now, after this... I think it's worth uh, just acknowledging that, you know, we're used to Martha, Martha, you know, you are worried for mm -hmm. many things. Um, but, you know, this story I mean, is about Lazarus's resurrection. Um, but Lazarus's resurrection is actually just like Israel's restoration, just a sign of the life to be given by the spirit mm -hmm. and of the final resurrection. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so she actually has faith in the thing signified before Jesus performs the sign so that other people can believe in him. Yeah, so right. Martha is showing uh, really well right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Martha, Martha is not always uh, uh, the person to, uh, the person who gets sort of re rebuked for something. Um, uh, and she says, yes, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Um, and then he speaks, Jesus speaks with her sister, Mary. And Mary also approaches him and says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved 
in his spirit and troubled. And he said, where'd you put him? And she says, Lord, come and see. And this is a, a, a beautiful thing here that Jesus here invites himself to be led. The rest of the gospel, he does a lot of the leading. Um, and uh, in John chapter one, John the Baptist sends two disciples to go and follow after Jesus. And they say, "What, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. And here, Jesus says, where have you laid him? Where did you put him? And she says, come and see. And so she gets to invite Jesus into her own right, um, problem, even though he's already showed up. And if we can sort of take this devotionally for a second, right, this is true for all of us, right, that Jesus is always there with us in our problems, uh, but he lets us also invite him into them in prayer and say, Lord, let me open up this part of my heart that you already know so that I can reveal to you what's broken, what's dead, what needs new life in it, what needs your spirit. Uh, then he goes out. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Um, and he stinks, they say. And they say, well, don't go over there. Right? He wants to go to the tomb. They're like, don't go over there. He's, he stinks. Don't go in. Like, it's going to be a problem. And right? he, he's already decaying, right? It's not just that he's died and, and uh, uh, um, hasn't really started the, the process of decay um, in earnest. Um, he's been there four days, and they're not embalming them, right? Um, uh, and they're not putting a lot of makeup on the faces or, or paint his nails or anything like that either. Um, he's wrapped up in the shroud, and they say, hey, he's, it's, don't, don't do this. It's going it's gonna, it's gonna to be an odor. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? And that's exactly what they see. And they see it through Jesus and his words, that his word has the power, right? his word that breathes forth his same spirit has the power to bring Lazarus out of the tomb. Um, and this is, is a great hope to look forward to as we approach Easter, um, but also to think about uh, our, our hope not just to get over with Lent in this particular season and the calendar year, um, but our hope of new life, right? That what's dead in us, both in terms of our morality, will be transformed by the Spirit and begging God for it, but also that our mortality, right? That we are in bodies that are breaking down all the time, but that when He appears, we will be like Him and we will see Him as He is. And He will, as Philippians 3 says, conform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body mm -hmm. uh, in resurrection forever. Well, I think that's a pretty good note to end on. Oh, no, very good. Oh, <laughs> well, actually, I just wanted to recall us back to um, Ezekiel 37, right? Remember that Ezekiel 37, um, one of the ways that they would know the power and the identity of the Lord mm, was precisely mm. through his calling them, right? Raising them up out of their graves and breathing his spirit into them to give them new life. And so John is here portraying Jesus as the Lord, as the God of the Old Testament, um, manifested by this sign. And that, um, that ties directly to Jesus's second reply to Martha, right? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Because in the Gospel of John, Jesus is the visible manifestation of mm. the glory of God. We have seen his glory. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's right. So That's right. Amen. All right. Well, with that, uh, we wish you a blessed week of Lent.
This has been a Formed in the Word podcast, a production of the Augustine Institute. For more inspiring and informative content like this, please visit formed.org.